Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Det Ja. Det är fast för det, really. France going to the World Cup. Get over. This fellow Ronaldo is a card. Boom 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 foul. Boom 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 yellow card. Nah, that's actually don't say. After she's mindy language and suggest you shut up and show more football. Good lad. I don't throw teacups. It's not my style. I think I got a chop on you. What you doing down here, you shorty man? <laughs> Owen oh, Ken and Murph here with the Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast, Monday's edition, as three of the Premier League Giants come crashing down over the weekend. Hi, guys. Hello there, Owen. Hey, Owen, how are you? For shock value, which would you say was the biggest result? Liverpool beating 3 0 at home by West Ham. Chelsea beating at home at Crystal Palace. And Alan Pardew congratulating Chelsea on giving them a good game. Or Manchester, <laughs> he did. He said something along the lines of, oh, you know, in fairness, like Chelsea. Really, you know, they played their part today. Yeah. And, don't forget Chelsea. Don't forget about little Chelsea. Couldn't have done it without them. Or Manchester United losing again to Ken Early's favourite team of the season, Swansea. Yeah, Swansea are... Uh, what was the shock result, do you think? Was, what I think the Liverpool one for sheer... Um, <laughs> Numbers. Yeah. yeah just, for, I mean, it was a proper caning. Like, yeah, you know. yeah. I mean, the Chelsea one is, is uh, I think, objectively more shocking in a way. Because it's, you know, Jose Mourinho does not lose a lot of home matches. Although he did lose one last season. But, you know, he did go 10 years, whatever, without losing a home match uh, across several uh, different clubs. So for him to lose again to... Uh, well, actually, no, he has lost to Alan Pardew, whether he's lost to Crystal Palace. Yes, he has lost to Crystal Palace, but that was an away match. Remember yeah. the one? It was 1-0, I think. Um, so to lose to lose is... is uh, yeah, is that maybe that was objectively more shocking. But 3-0... Against West Ham, you know, I mean, a West Ham team that, that let in four against Bournemouth. We were talking about them last week, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Is it the end for Slavin Bilic? <laughs> was the question posed last and, week. And uh, we somehow engineered a situation where they were going to start their uh, lease in the Olympic Stadium from the Vauxhall Conference, I believe. Yeah. That was yeah. what was happening last week. Um, yeah, I mean, so. so Champions, Champions League football now for them at the Olympic Stadium. The good news, maybe for, for Liverpool, is we will be talking about them this week. Uh, although there is no game this weekend, it's, it's Ireland against Gibraltar uh, this week, and um, no no Premier League football next week. We're in we're doing an international break now. You know the one uh, organisation I think that might be slightly put out about Dublin and Mayo drawing and having to play a replay next Saturday. Yeah, could be the FAI. We've got the, the Gibraltar game's a home game, I know, but the game on Monday uh, against Georgia at home, if if Dublin fans are going to be shelling out for tickets on Saturday at Croke Park. Mm. You could be talking about a couple of thousand less fans at an already uh, difficult game. You yeah. don't think so? Ireland, Georgia? Well, I'm not saying it clashes, but it's a busy weekend of sport and Monday could just... Listen, we'll, we'll put all week to talk about that. Let's get into today's report on sport. So uh, I didn't mean to poo-poo your suggestion. No, you both, no, you both looked at me like this isn't an interesting conversation point, so I thought I'd move it along. <laughs> okay, it's, fair uh, enough. Fair enough. Yeah, sitting you, in the middle here. You have me bagged the right foot. Um, so are we. Manchester City, is it too early to congratulate them on winning the Premier League? Surely a bookie is paid out by that. Yeah, Fred Dunn probably is paid out. Yeah. He, he used to do that all the time, didn't he? Um, they're 7-4 uh, f- odd. To I win heard the league. Odd, I heard odd there. Uh, 
Yeah, Chelsea are, are have gone out to six to one, yeah. and Manchester City are now seven to four on. Well, look, you know, seven to four on is is a reasonable price in City at this stage. I think. I mean, it's still you know more competitive than. Um, I mean, at the, at the beginning, wasn't Jonathan telling us? Jonathan Wilson was saying it was the Bayern Munich were ten to one on to win the Bundesliga before a ball was kicked. Um, there wasn't an, an odds-on favourite in the Premier League uh, at that stage, but now that City are clear at the top of the league after four matches and looking very impressive, uh, they've moved to odds-on. So uh, Raheem Sterling getting his first league goal for them, and really, I think making a already quite a big impact. I mean, if you if you look at Manchester City play. Uh, Sterling is, has added already a lot, you know, in terms of um, running past players with the ball in the box. Not a lot of players can actually do that. This is why he costs so much money. And when you look now at the deal for Kevin De Bruyne bringing him in, um, Liverpool must be thinking to themselves, did we maybe let Raheem Sterling, who is, after all, an English player, um, and they're supposed to be more expensive, did we maybe let him go a little bit cheaply? What was it? Transfer fee in the end? Uh, a total of forty nine million uh, with uh, pounds. Pounds with um, when you include the add-ons, but of course some of that has to go to Queens Park Rangers, the old club. Apparently, in fact, uh, John Cross, uh, the Tottenham Mirror, had this story that Chelsea will get paid out of this Kevin De Bruyne deal, which is fifty four million pounds that City have paid uh, Wolfsburg for him, and uh, the Chelsea actually have a sell on clause, so they might be pocketing some of Manchester right. City's. Money, which I'm sure is of not a lot of consolation for them, if he goes on, if he has the same, even just the same kind of impact that Sterling is 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 threatening to have. Um, just looking at it, there was a, a, a graphic um, which uh, was put up by Transfermarkt.de, um, basically showing the well, well since the year 2000, what the Premier League has spent buying players from the Bundesliga. In the over the year, so in 2000 the sum was 4.25 million. Uh, these are all euro figures, I guess. 4.4 in 2001, zero in 2002. No, no players from the Bundesliga. Uh, three and a half million in 2003. Point seven, 700 grand 2004. Um, 18 uh, million 2005, 39 2006, 47 2007. Bit of interest. Oh, it's gone back down again. 30 million in 2008. Well, zero it, again. Oh, 2009. Well, forget about it. That's zero. The Bundesliga is dead. German football is dead. <laughs> it's dead. This is zero. That was exactly the moment to start spending money <laughs> in this market. But of course, uh, 50 million 2010, 25 in 2011, 39 in 2012, 26 in 2013, only 14 million in 2014. But of course, what happened? What happened in 2014 in world football? The World Cup was won by Germany. Germany, Germany won something, won the World, the world Cup. Uh, total figures so far for 2015, 207 million. And that's before you add in the 80 million euros for Kevin De Bruyne. <laughs> so it's <laughs> like 280 million. 280 million, which I'm just looking at it here. I haven't added it up, Owen, but I'd be surprised if it wasn't more than all of the previous years put together. Uh, that the Premier League has spent on the Bundesliga, which is an interesting situation. I mean, it sort of says, like, uh, sure, the Premier League has this big uh, TV deal and it's supposedly much richer than the Bundesliga, but they have just given all their money to the Bundesliga. So now the Bundesliga has the money and the Premier League has all the players that were prepared to leave their Bundesliga clubs. you got to love uh, the highly scientific uh, scouting system that's in place <laughs> in uh, world football. Yeah. So, right, OK, who won the World Cup? Let's buy all of their players and uh, see how that goes for three years, and then another World Cup will be around, and then we can, you know, if Italy, by some miracle, win the World Cup in uh, uh, 2018, 
I think we can we'll be sitting here in four years looking at some pretty interesting figures. Well, that works. I mean, for the for when Italy won the World Cup, you know, we got Trapattoni shortly afterwards. Fabio Capello became the England manager. Um, you know, neither was, unqualified successes, I wouldn't say. Uh, I wouldn't. No, no not unqualified. Fabio Capello. Fabio Capello was a an utter failure, and Giovanni Trapattoni was a qualified success. I'll go with that. Yeah, I would say success. I would say qualified success. Literally, in the case of the European Championships, yeah. He qualified. Successfully. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, like, yeah, I mean, that, that is, that's an interesting uh, figure, I suppose. But um, the Kevin De Bruyne, anyway, has gone to City and says he's not out for revenge. Um, he might as well be out for revenge. On to be Chelsea. On Chelsea, yeah. Uh, he says he's not, but he might, he might as well be. Because I'm out for, oh, yeah, no, wait, I lied. I am out for revenge. That'd uh, be good. Jose Mourinho is going to find... He's going to have to find someone to pay for this because uh, this is a terrible... He's the new Ray Harford, essentially. Uh, the Blackburn manager who took over after they won the the uh, title and, and presided over the worst uh, title defence in uh, Premier League history. Unless he can't... I think, uh, I think Leeds' one was pretty bad, although they won the last Division One title in 1992. So whether it, whether it counts, I don't know. But Blackburn were terrible. Um, Ray Harford was the manager... Things fell apart. Jose Mourinho is the same manager who won the title, I suppose. Uh, but now losing at home to Palace, this is this is really not a good situation. And he's begun to sort of point the finger a little bit at his players. Uh, he says, "I cannot say I had eleven players at the same time performing. Two or three of them, their individual performance was far from good. I blame myself for not changing one of them. I kept him in the game for ninety minutes, and when I made the third change, I realised I needed a fourth. So everyone said, "Oh." He, he, who, who do you mean? Who are you talking about? Jose. And he said, it's the last thing I'm going to tell you. So I wondered, is this like the en- envelopes thing? You know, the Brendan Rogers thing with the envelopes? Where you're like, you, uh, oh, yeah. you know, I've got, I've got these three envelopes. I've got, I've got his name here in this envelope. He let me down. I didn't play 90 minutes. And this is, it can be one of eight guys, you know, who played 90 minutes in the game. Um, I wondered, is that what he's doing? He's kind of saying, so he's threatening all of them. But no, apparently it was Ivanovic. Uh, everyone is like, oh, he, well, yeah. he's talking about Ivanovic. That's exactly, Rude Hull was a match today. I think. I was like, well, obviously, maybe it was a match today. Obviously, it was Ivanovic. I was thinking, <laughs> what? Surely a couple of other players looked a little bit leaden-footed out there. Well, uh, let's say Ivanovic is 7-4 to four on. Cesc <laughs> uh, Fabregas, 6-1. to one. He's the only other horse in the race, is Cesc. 10-1 to one bar. Yeah. Um, so that's the, that's the way it is. Now, he, wouldn't, uh, he wouldn't say who it was. But, um, you know, Alan Pardew obviously exulted. And again, more of this... Uh, Mourinho, remember him, uh, uh, Tony Pulis, they, this kind of uh, love they have for each other, love and mutual respect. It's the same thing with Alan Pardew. They are real football men together on a level. Even after Mourinho was beaten by Pardew? Big hugs, big hugs, yeah. You know, Mourinho likes to hug people who beat him. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a funny it's the only thing way to get does. respect from Jose Mourinho is to beat Although Barcelona beat them some of the dime and he didn't seem to that's, offer a huge amount of respect to their coaching team. That's true. No, he didn't. It was too far gone. But you know, these these guys, I mean, I think I think Mourinho does like the idea of having like like Alex Ferguson did a little a circle of, of kind of satellite managers or kind of um, what's the word? Um, flunky managers? Mm, too, too much. But you know, that kind of friends. Friends, but friends who are always going to bow down to Mourinho when it really comes to it. No, I mean, like, they're, they're, they're glad that, that Mourinho's got them on speed dial or whatever. Um, he does like that, and Pardew seems to be one of the anointed, um, at least for the time being. 
Um, but yeah, he's he's managed to go and go and uh, go and win there, and they've they've won ten out of the last twelve away games now, Palace, which is a ridiculous record. I mean, it's an incredible record. What Alan Pardew has done is is brilliant. I mean, he is like, I mean, he had he had a similar galvanizing effect at Newcastle originally, you know, and he did a kind of similar thing at West Ham as well. Alan Pardew is a manager who is able to make an impact at a club. He will take your club and he will he will rocket it up the league table. There comes a point, or there has come a point, in previous uh, previous times when Pardew has uh, previous uh, stints, uh, previous managerial stints, when something has gone wrong, and the Pardew magic has ceased to have its effect, uh, because the Palace have not yet hit that uh, point, and given that this is his home club, he is at home now. Maybe, uh, maybe he can he can drag it out a little bit longer than usual. Southampton. Well, Southampton uh, had a had a good win yesterday, a win that they needed um, against Norwich to beat them three 0 helped by a red card for Whitaker. Norwich Tadic scores a couple of goals. Um, the main problem that Southampton have though is that people want it, wanting their players, but this in this case wanting players they don't want to sell. So we talked last week about Manchester United supposedly looking for Mane. Mane had another very good game uh, against Norwich. Uh, was involved in a couple of the goals. Uh, the problem they have though uh, relates to Victor Wanyama who um, Tottenham want. Uh, Victor Wanyama has been into Ronald Koeman and said, boss, I want to go to Tottenham. And Ronald Koeman said, listen, Victor, I respect you, but you're not going to go to Tottenham. I will. I refuse to allow you to leave because it's too late in the transfer window. Um, he says, essentially, uh, Schneiderlin's situation was still in the preseason. This situation is the last week of the transfer window. That makes a difference. Um, so basically, Wanyama wasn't in, wasn't involved. Yes, it didn't start yesterday. Um, Kuman is saying, "I don't care. Um, you're going to stay. I don't care if you silk, silk silk all you like. When the transfer window closes, you still have to stay here. And if you want to get if you want to get a move, you're going to have to play well." Are the managers taking the power back this summer? I'm just I'm just thinking the John Stone story. Martinez putting his foot down on that one. Well, I, I'm not sure. I mean, it, it depends. It all depends on how long the player has left on his contract. Really, that's a, it's a big factor in it. Um, I mean, which not which it, it's not a it's not an unknown sort of thing to see this this idea of a player who wants to leave being told you have to do one more year, then you can leave. I mean, that was obviously the case with Schneiderlin. Schneiderlin wanted to go the previous season to Arsenal, and uh, he wasn't allowed. Uh, he's ended up going to Manchester United. Had the same thing with Luis Suarez the previous year at Liverpool. Cristiano Ronaldo, famously at Manchester United, uh, was told one more year and you can go. Let's win the Champions League again, Cristiano. Um, and it nearly worked out. So I think it is it is a kind of a common thing. I mean, with Stones, it seems to be, you're going to stay here forever, John. It's Stones is more like uh, Roberto Martinez is like Kathy Bates in Misery, you know? <laughs> you know, the, 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 you're a true Evertonian, John. You're, you're not going to, you know... This I'm your is, number one fan, John. You were made for Everton and Everton was made for you, John. Look, I mean, but John, Stones has got four years left in his contract and is a very young player, you know? Uh, he, still, he still might go, although... But didn't the guy get away in Misery in the end? I mean, I mean, not without a lot of physical and mental issues. Yeah, there was a lot of resourcefulness he had to, he had to employ to escape. Ultimately, but I think it was an old typewriter over the head or something. Actually, don't got think, the job yeah, done in the end. Don't think John Stones is going to recover from that ankle. I'm pretty sure his net worth is going to go down if Roberto Martinez tries that stud. Well, look, if you know, do we really want to take it there, John? <laughs> brandishing the mallet. <laughs> yeah. Look, I mean, I don't know, but but 
it, it, that is still is an interesting situation. I think Chelsea, I wouldn't be surprised if they tried to get him again. They've, they, you know, you see these reports, Chelsea going from Marquinhos to PSG player and being told no. Are Chelsea just going to be told no by everybody? Is Jose Mourinho going to have to sit down with his board? You know, there's one person listening to this. There's definitely one person saying, oh, thanks, lads. I was about to go back and read Misery or watch Misery, the TV series. <laughs> Someone handing in a, just, a, just at the counter of the, the video store. <laughs> I'll rent this one tonight. This VHS tape looks just bad. Um, they, might, they might come back for him. I think Jose Mourinho is going to kick up a, an almighty tantrum if he doesn't get somebody. Because... As you can see, Manchester City are just going going absolutely nuts. Oh no, we're 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 two days away from a, or maybe a week away from a public Mourinho Abramovich rift. Yeah, there'll be, there'll be a private rift if nothing happens over the before the transfer window closes, and they'll become public at Mourinho's weekly press conference. <laughs> I do, and he'll be gone in two weeks' time. My predictions. I do honestly think that's that's oh, the yeah. case. I mean, we, you know, there's there's something going on there which which may be about to blow, but we'll wait and see. Maybe something can be done to mollify uh, Mourinho over the next couple of days. But uh, what was the other thing? Yeah, we're going to talk to Chris Baskin about this in a minute, but we might as well just mention the, uh, you know, obviously Liverpool losing to West Ham. Um, and Bilic afterwards was the was championing uh, Dejan Lovren, who made one of the worst defensive mistakes I've ever seen. Because when do you ever see a defensive mistake that involves so many mistakes? It was just, it was like a... A, a symphony of error from Dejan Lovren. First of all, he's you know he, he's trying to shepherd it. He's trying to shepherd it. You're like, put it out, you know, just put it out. He's being hounded by this little Lanzini who's already scored one goal and he's having a good game. This guy is like hounding uh, Lovren. Lovren is trying to sort of uh, shepherd, shepherd, shepherd. Just put the ball out, or you know, he he makes the correct decision not to go back to Minio because he doesn't know there could be somebody running in on that one. So. In, this, in the situation he's in, though, he's tr- he tries, okay, I'll use my physical power to try and dominate this guy, which he manages to do, although he kind of falls over doing it. It's not the, it's not the most comfortable shielding of the ball, but, but Lanzini actually falls over and, is, and then gets blocked by the linesman, so he's out of it. Hmm. But Lovren then gets up and sort of looks up the field to see, okay, who am I going to pass this to? And in the process, takes such a rank touch with his, and nearly puts the ball out for a corner. Ah! So he, he runs after the ball that he's nearly put out for a corner accidentally, takes another bad touch and gets the ball stolen off him by Lanzini. So there was at least three serious I'd mistakes. I'd love to know at which point the figure of Lanzini loomed back into his consciousness. Because he'd clearly forgotten about him. Once yeah. Lanzini collided with the linesman, he's like, that guy's gone anyway. Yeah, I've seen him off. Yeah, yeah. He's so, not going to get up. He's had, he's had enough. Did he, did he think, slowly oh, oh, control this <laughs> ball. And, oh. Uh, but, oh, oh yeah, I mean, it was two, two bad touches in a row by him. It was just terrible, really bad. Bilic comes out and says uh, about him, Bilic, obviously the former manager of Croatia, uh, says when he's concentrating and thinking only about his own game, not about the left back or whoever's alongside him, there are very few centre-halves who are better than him. Uh, though he did, uh, he did also say, I'm not objective about him because I like him. So, I mean, that's ridiculous. You know, it's a... We're talking about. We're not talking about a, a sort of an under tens team here. You know, a kid who who gets a bit nervous. You know, who who get who feels like he's under pressure. You know, this is the this is the Premier League. Like, Lovren is a twenty million pound player. He's supposed to be one of the very best players in the world. He's supposed to be one of the very best in the world at doing what he's doing. And Slavin Bilic is telling us that apparently he can't. He can't think about other people's other people's jobs in the team as well. He can only think about his own job. 
that's just yeah. That's really not good enough. Seven village means to defend Lover in there, I think. But that's one of the most cutting things you could say. This is this is coming from his friend and champion and defender. He says, but well, I mean, if that's if that's the case, then should he should he really be playing another game at this level? And that's it for the report on sport. Mm. You remember my grandmother? No disrespect. When I used to get in trouble, she looked at me and said, "Hmm." And I knew a butt whooping was coming at the house. I'm an alien. Think about it. Roy Jones is born. Jane 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 Tony is born. I ran Barkley is born. But I'm telling you right now, I'm an alien. Tell me why I'm not. Explain why I'm here. I'm an alien. I should have been on this game 15, maybe 20 years ago, man. And then that's why I said I'm an alien. I'm an alien. Tell me why I'm not. Explain why I'm here. I'm an alien. But I'm telling you right now. I'm an alien. Just Google it and get your own information. I'm an alien. You should be going. I'm an alien. Google it. I'm an alien. Let's pick this up right now. Chris Bascom of The Telegraph. Chris, this um, the first 3-0 home defeat since 1965, which isn't good. There was a 6-1 defeat against Stoke last season. Uh, 3-1 defeat to Palace at Anfield as well. So either side of the summer, some fairly spectacular hammerings. Would you be worried that not only are Liverpool showing a propensity to lose to teams that they shouldn't lose to, but they're also losing a lot of these games badly? Well, I think that is the problem, isn't it? I, I, you know, you sort of come into fresh into a new season and you don't have this kind of memory still of what happened in the last season. Actually, I mean, I don't I mean, even getting beat at home 3 0 in West Ham at any season is probably just a shock at, but certainly when you've got what's been going on, you know, back in May, April time, it doesn't help. And I think that's the problem Brendan Rodgers has had ultimately coming into this season that no matter how many encouraging performances there may be, it just needs another one like that on Saturday and people are just going to sort of drag up, well, hang on a minute, you know, how many times the Liverpool can so many goals. Um, yeah, it, it, it is no doubt it is a worry. And there's a lot of things about that game which I thought were worrying just beyond the fact you know, they, they played badly and lost, you know. I mean, yeah, we, we, we can talk about those, but, I mean, what, what strikes me about this is it's also Liverpool haven't had bad uh, spells before when, when uh, you know, things have been going wrong on managers. I mean, Benitez, Houdier, you know, Sunis, Evans, all of these guys have had bad uh, times. But, the, you know, these kinds of scorelines weren't happening. I mean, what's what's different now? Why, why is it suddenly now that, um, you know, three... Four six goals is is a kind of is a kind of a, a a realistic total for Liverpool to concede. Well, one of one of the things that worries me about, and I think put, put a lot of it down. To, I mean, I, it seems to me at the minute that when Liverpool are losing a game, um, it's just you know the drawing board gets out and everything changes. It's, it's, you know, when Brendan took over Liverpool, he came quote where he said, you know, if Plan A isn't working. What's the change I'm going to make? I'm going to make a change to make Plan A even better. Because he had this four-three-three idea, and then you know, clearly over the years, and feels that we had the players to execute this. And what seemed to be happening over the summer was he was going to get the players in who can execute how he actually wants to play um, football. So you kind of think, well, if four-three-three ain't working, he's going to bring some guys off the bench who still slot into four-three-three or you know whatever system he's decided on and make it work better. But what we're getting instead is okay, let's dump that, let's go three at the back now. And it almost seems like you're going through every you know 
chapter of the UA for coaching manual. Now we all know he, you know, he's a very good coach, and he's. But I think sometimes there might be too much change, because I'm not sure whether a lot of the footballers can consume so much information within the space of 90 minutes. And I, I think there was, I read one. I think it was Paul Jason expressed today wrote that of the last 36 points available when Liverpool gone behind, they've only got four. I think that's quite a telling stat, isn't it? I mean, it's like suggesting when things are going wrong, it's getting worse. Yeah, I mean, on the game. In terms of changes, they have they've made a lot of changes to. It's not just the sort of in-game tactical changes. There've been a lot of changes to the squad. Um, so you know, I think it's four of the players who were signed last summer have already been packed off, either permanently or on loan, um, and and new guys have come in. The interesting thing about it, though, is that despite all this change, you've still got guys in there like Dejan Lovren, who had a terrible season last last year, uh, was yeah. was culpable again, and and Simon Mignolet, who who had a terrible season last year. And hasn't done anything wrong yet, but it seems to me as though these kind of weak links weren't examined. What what was it that meant that you know Mignolet and Lovren were obviously considered in a different category from somebody like uh, Lazar Markovic, who, uh, who who's off at Fenerbahce now? Well, I mean, in terms of Mignolet, Mignolet had a terrible start last season, but he did actually perform a lot better in the second half. So, um, well, clearly convinced to keep hold of him. Um, Lovren, I think it was a toss of the coin for certainly a lot of supporters, whether Lovren or Sacco. I think a lot of people would have quite willingly dumped Lovren after last season, but the manager liked them and wanted to give them a chance and, and, and selected him ahead of Sacco. And he has to stand and fall by that judgment. I think, to be fair to Lovren, first three games, three clean sheets, you know, it looked as though he would maybe he had to in the corner, but. I thought it was fascinating what Slavin Billy said about Lovren because he says, you know, Lovren's at his best when he's focused solely on his own game, out and out defend, blank his mind of everything other than just doing your own job. Because when Liverpool signed him, it was all about Lovren's going to come in and be like Jamie Carragher and be the one who reads and helps everybody around him. Well, who did the due diligence there then? Did nobody ring Slavin Billy up? It was the Croatian manager who gave him his debut and asked him what kind of the character and you know personality he is on the pitch. Because clearly it looks as though he's muddled up. Um, you know, and I think almost it was a sense of all the confidence in his game on Saturday where he started wanting to be friends back in Bauer instead of just doing the simple thing. I think somewhere within, I mean, this sounds like a terribly controversial thing to say, but I think somewhere within Lovren that there is probably a good defender. But I, I think Liverpool for years, I mean, go back for years, it seems to be that they sign players on the basis of what they've done for the former clubs and then bring them to the club and want them to be completely different. <laughs> you know, I didn't just do the things that made them worth that money to sign in the first. But you go back to the years of Stan Collymore, this was happening, you know. Oh, it's great the way he plays for Forest. That brings Liverpool in a completely different way. Um, and maybe that's what's happened with Lover and a few others. Um, I mean, in terms of Markovic, well, I, I, you know, I, I, it seems that a lot of players become better when they don't play. Uh, I What I've seen of Markovic not an impressed me. I mean, I saw him in training in Boston when he was first signed, and I have to say, I walked away thinking, oh, God, you know, he couldn't, he couldn't shoot. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I was always a bit surprised why, why Liverpool signed and when Chelsea could have had him for half the price because he had the clause in his contract. Uh, why didn't Chelsea take him if he was that good, you know? Um, but, you know, I think that players become better when they're not in the team, when the ones who are playing aren't doing particularly well. Of course, yeah. Well, good. Gus Poyer made a point he was on goals on Sunday about Lovren, a more general point about defending in the Premier League and that is that 
so many defenders now, if you ask them what they feel their best attributes are, they like to say passing the ball, they like to say being comfortable in possession, and Poirier said he's a bit old school on this one and feels that really some defenders have gone away from defending. Now, Brendan Rodgers, the way he wants to play football, I suppose he needs guys who are at least somewhat comfortable on the ball, but like you're saying with Lovren there, it seems like he's now maybe getting caught a little bit between two stools. Yeah, possibly. You know, I mean, we had there's always something about a footballer Whatever, you know, you pick any couple in the world, there's always something that you know, like people will pick on. I mean, we had 15 years at Jamie Carragher in the team. When he's a full-back, he wasn't attacking enough as a full-back. He needs to be like Ashley Cole. Then he goes to centre-half and people say he can't pass the ball. Well, what will you do for a defender at Liverpool now who just defends, who just puts his body on the line, makes the blocks, makes the interceptions, rather than somebody who comes in like, and does what Lovren was doing the other day? You know... Maybe where everyone gets so idealistic about, you know, I agree with what player you're saying, you know, what the good things about Klein and Gomez in those first three games is, you know, full-backs who just want to defend, who don't want to be Roberto Carlos, because that's what Liverpool have missed for so long. Um, but then, you know, maybe it just goes to their head a little bit, you know, see uh, good results, let's go back to trying to be, you know, play all this Barcelona style again and, you know, let's walk a bit more before they start, you know, jogging because clearly nowhere near that level and um, a bit of consolidation even when you're at home to West Ham doesn't go amiss but yeah. it was just a shocking performance you know and hopefully that's going to not be a trend that uh, continues Well someone who would have been nodding his head I think uh, the way that game panned out was Danny Higginbottom who wrote a piece over the weekend a very interesting piece actually in The Independent where he, he basically said uh, home advantage is finished now there's no such thing as it anymore in the Premier League, it's all about if the home team doesn't score in the first 30 minutes, the away team becomes the favourite because Premier League football now is all about winning the right to play on the break, to play in a counter-attack. Um, West Ham obviously obviously got that pretty soon, but one of the things that Higginbottom said in that piece, which I thought was really interesting, was, um, yeah, you know, as if the home team doesn't score early on, then the away team becomes the favourite, as there is no supporter pressure on them. And they can frustrate the hosts until they can set traps and pick them off in the second half. No supporter pressure. Supporter pressure is what people used to call home support. Apparently now it's a bad. Apparently now being playing in a stadium full of your own fans is a bad thing. What's what's the supporter pressure like at Anfield these days? Well, it's as good as good as any. Is any? I mean, I know where he's coming from. And Bill had said something similar. You know that when they're at home at Upton Park, that you know people are yelling to take the throw-ins quickly, whereas when you go away, you can be more relaxed, you can slow the game down. And this has happened to Liverpool quite a lot at home. It's, you know, going back to that Chelsea game, that infamous Chelsea game, where, you know, Eva Canero was the, the man of the match with Chelsea, you know, and it'd be five minutes to stop the game. And, you know, the, the Damba Bar game, and then last year, Crystal Palace. It's So there's some merit to that. But I also think that if you're a quality side, it's also quite nonsensical as well. I mean, you know, for years, Ferguson's United team, I mean, teams just went to the Old Trafford and they were beaten before the kickoff. I think you've got the players and the quality. Home advantage is always going to be, you know, I think the only, I mean, is that only Mourinho's on his second or third home defeat in his own time as Chelsea manager. I think maybe it's just a bit of a trend at the moment. Um, and if you've got speedy players, you can play on the counter-attack, clearly. That's a huge weapon to have away from home and that's, that's the way West Ham play and the way Palace play. Mm. I would but, imagine over the course of the season, it'll, it'll, you know, even itself out again, you know, and, and I think home advantage, certainly at Anfield, you know, I just think it's about the, the, the players and the capacity of the players and the players working it out for themselves. And 
deal with situations as you're being a bit more intelligent on the field and maybe maybe what's lacking at the moment is game intelligence that phrase managers love to use maybe maybe that's gone down the swanee a bit you know with players now and they, they do panic far too soon the good news I guess for Liverpool is that the next game is away to Manchester United so all the supporter pressure is yeah. going to be on them um, yeah. is, do you think that Liverpool uh, I mean the international break obviously comes up and the transfer window is going to close tomorrow Will there be any additions to the squad, do you think? Um, any possibility of a new player uh, we haven't seen before at, uh, at Old Trafford? I'd be surprised. Oh, at Old Trafford, I about Man United. I mean, they're just... Oh, we know that. Um, we know that <laughs> Ed Woodward's probably, probably going to do something there. But are Liverpool going to um, going to do anything, do you think? I don't, I don't know. About, I don't think Liverpool will... will I'd be surprised. I'd be very surprised if anything happened at Liverpool significant in terms of players coming in. I think, I think all the business was done. And I think that's one of the things that you can say. That, I mean, you know, we talk about the signings. I mean, I think this time last year I was looking at the signings who came in. It was eight, and I wasn't really convinced by. I was convinced by any of them, if I'm honest. <laughs> and to look at the signings this year, and I think to be fair, I think that they are good players. I think Klein's a good sign. I think Gomez's potential is there. You know, he obviously had a different game on Saturday when he was a kid. You know, I think um, Ben Teke is clearly going to be better than Balotelli. Better than Balotelli. So, I don't think we're quite in the same situation in that kind of depressive mode. And I also think that the, certainly 95% of the players signed this season have been Rogers' picks. He's wanted them and he's got them. So, there's no excuse, really, if these guys don't don't cut it. Um, but no, I don't, I, don't, I don't expect anybody else coming in. I think this is what he's going to have to make the most of. But the big new sign will be Daniel Sturridge, if he can stay fit, isn't it? I mean, if he, if he comes back into the team and keeps fit... A big if, but that will be transformative. And Liverpool will be a much bigger threat going forward. Yep. All right. We'll leave it there, Chris Bascom. Great stuff. Thanks a million. Okay. No problem. A uh, rather downbeat sounding Chris Bascom regarding Liverpool's current form there, not surprisingly. What about that point he made early in the chat there, Ken, about there being maybe too many changes during a game that the players are maybe being asked to take on too much tactical information mid game when they're when they're losing? Well, I think that's the manager who who wants to show everyone that he's he's um, doing something to affect the situation. You know, uh, we're going to go to three at the back, or you know, we're going to you know those kinds of. But surely you do have to make those changes. Mm, not necessarily. Arsene Wenger doesn't, and his team have underperformed. <sighs> Certainly failed to win. It's all the relative. It's all relative, isn't it? Like you know, we say his team has underperformed, but it's performed better than Brendan Rodgers' team. Fourth is also a trophy. Well, fourth is four. I mean. If if you offer Brendan Rodgers fourth now, imagine how happy he's going to feel going on his holidays over the international break. Seriously, you know, I mean, it's all what what I'm saying is I think he, you know, he. Uh, I mean, I, I would think back to the, the semi final of the FA Cup against Aston Villa, um, where Liverpool changed tactics like three times, mm-hmm. you know, during the in in the first hour of the game. What you know? What are you doing? You know, John John Giles has that saying: if it's the right thing to do in the First minute of the game, it's the right thing to do in the last minute of the game. You know, which is... Uh, actually, I don't think entirely true. Sometimes, some things are more appropriate in the last minute than in the first. Uh, you know, a more risky thing, which you've... Uh, yeah, a more risky thing, maybe they've got to... Say, you know, some, you do something which increases your chance of scoring by 30% and increases their chance of scoring by 50%. You're maybe, not going to do that unless you're... It's time, to, it's time yeah. to do that in the, last, in the last minute. It's time to do that if you need a goal. 
they might score, but it doesn't. Their goal doesn't matter as much. You rarely see a goalkeeper coming forward for a corner kick in the opening minute. Exactly. For example, I've almost never seen that. Exactly, but occasionally a goalkeeper manages to achieve. You know, manages to make the difference. So there are times when you know, obviously you make changes according to the game situation, but making too many changes. The idea that what what it is, I think the problem is, it's it's like uh, it's it's. The manager is too much in the players' heads. It's like, oh, what am I supposed to be? What exactly does he want me to do now? All the players are thinking, oh, what's our new system now? Where am I supposed to be? As opposed to focusing on the game. You know, it's ultimately it's up to the players to win the game. So the manager can only kind of help them, try and create the conditions for that. You know, maybe he gives them some guidelines. But the idea that, like, it's actually all a, a sort of a chess game that the manager's controlling and the players have to... It, I, think, I think maybe you're interfering a little bit too much in the players' own mental uh, processes when you're constantly changing what they have to do because they 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 have to think am I doing the right thing am I doing is this what he wants you know and maybe that results in a in a, in a problem but it's funny you say that because Louis van Hal said after their defeat uh, that it's up to the players on the field to notice when Swansea changed things up a little bit and he felt that his team didn't react uh, and it's, it's essentially that's exactly what he's saying I can't just control them from the sideline they've got to do their own thinking Jonathan Wilson is going to talk to us about Manchester United first of all Swansea though Jonathan and their performance we've been talking quite a lot about them so far this season how impressed were you by Swansea yeah, really impressed. I, mean, I was at uh, Chelsea on the opening day and uh, I thought they were really good there. I mean, they were a bit unlucky not to win that game. Uh, I mean, you sort of didn't really dress it up like that because you thought, oh, you know, Swansea at Chelsea points a great result. But when you actually look back at the, at the game and you sort of forget who the teams were, then, you know, Swansea played really, really well. You know, defensively, they were solid. Shelby was, was pulling strings all over the place. I mean, his improvement this season has been remarkable. And they had the you know the the, the pace of Montero on the left and the intelligence and, and, and strength of, of IU on the right. Uh, and I, you know I think they've yeah you know, they, they've carried that on. And although they've they've drawn two games this season, I, I think they were probably both of those they should have won. They had, you know they had the better chances. So I mean I guess you look at the depth of their squad and say can they keep it going? But but if they've got the you know pretty much the first choice eleven. Okay, Montero was out yesterday. But that first choice eleven, I think, is can beat anybody. I think they're, they're they're really good, and I think we started to see that towards the end of last season. I think the the game they went to Arsenal and won one nil. It was a very sort of very unswansea performance. You know, we sort of think of them as being very pretty and very neat, and they hold the ball nicely. But that game, you know, they sat back. They they showed the sort of muscularity that perhaps we don't associate with them. They defended really intelligently. Got got a little bit lucky with the goal. But you sort of saw, okay, they can play in this other way. They don't have to dominate possession. And I, I think you know, we, we saw that against United, that that first sort of, I don't know, 20, 25 minutes, they pretty much let United come onto them. And United had was that, that Rooney chance when he tried to cut inside and, and Ashley Williams made the challenge. There was the matter chance when um, uh, it, was, it was Herrera showed those very quick feet in the middle and laid it onto him. And Matter maybe sort of was a little bit cautious and sort of pulled out of a shot a little bit as, as two defenders flew in. But those sort of two half chances aside, even though United had, I would guess, around 70% of the ball in that first 20, 25 minutes, Swansea looked very, very comfortable and then slowly sort of came out, began to express themselves and you saw the power of Gomis and you saw, so are you, you know, basically playing right across that, that front line and being excellent in all three positions. Yeah, that said, uh, Jonathan, there's, there was a nice stat tweeted by Sporting Intelligence last night about um, the <laughs> various transfer budgets of these clubs. £230 million has been spent by Van Hal since he uh, took over at Manchester United. That's £100 million more than Swansea have spent in their entire history. And yet, United lose to Swansea. They've got five goalkeepers in their squad at the moment, Manchester United, and three forwards. Uh, a couple of whom, well, at least one of them 
in Javi Hernandez, a player not apparently rated that highly by Van Halen. It seems like a bit of a mess here. What, what's going on? I think it does look like a mess at the moment. Um, I mean, the goalkeeping situation, I, I'm not really sure. I, I don't know what they thought. I don't, I, don't, I don't think anybody knows quite what's going on there with, with De Gea. Um, the, are, are United sort of digging their heels and saying, no, we want him for, for a year more? In which case, fine. But but then leaving him out while you're doing that seems a little bit strange. I mean, if he's not mentally right now, is he actually going to be mentally right in a month's time? Or, you know, that, that seems a... A, a bit of a mess, and they they look unbelievably short up front. Now, I mean, it may be that Rooney suddenly clicks and suddenly starts, starts scoring hundreds of goals, but even then, you know, what cover do they have? I mean, Hernandez, as you say, a player who, who Van Hal doesn't really seem to to want at the club. Some he was out, out on loan last season. He sort of re- returned without any great fanfare. He's gone to Bayer Leverkusen now, hasn't he? Has he? Has that happened this morning? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure he's, he's right. joined by <laughs> oh, yeah. The three forwards that they have in their squad are Rooney, uh, Memphis and Wilson. Yeah, and, and Memphis, uh, you know, has, I think, looks best on the left, uh, cutting in. Uh, Van Hal tried to play him through the middle as a second striker in pre-season. That didn't really work. Uh, Wilson is, you know, is, is pretty much unproven, untested. So... Um, yeah, I mean, they, they, they've got no cover there at all. Um, you had written... Uh, I, I saw Gary Neville on TV after this game getting really angry. I mean, he was so angry, he was kind of shaking, and he was unable to make eye contact with Jamie Carragher for about 20 minutes. And uh, he was complaining about the unwillingness of Manchester United's attacking players to take risks and to, to take players on and to beat players. Now, this is something that you'd kind of... You'd written a little, a bit about this uh, when you were talking about Van Hal's. Uh, this is in a piece regarding Van Hal's very um, possession-based, possession-oriented style of football, and how, in your opinion, this was maybe cramping Manchester United up a little bit. It was kind of leading to maybe some of the risk-averse football that Neville was complaining about. Um, this this uh, criticism, I think, has been levelled at Van Hal for for quite a while now. Can you maybe go into that a little bit and explain? Um, why Van Gaal was criticised by somebody like Johan Cruyff, who in in most ways, uh, actually, he's, you know, they, they seem to play this kind of same kind of football, but apparently Johan Cruyff had a few issues with Van Gaal's interpretation. Can you explain what that was all about? Yeah, I mean, I, I saw the Gary Neville stuff uh, last night when I got in, and, and um, I was a little bit surprised by what he said, because he, he said he couldn't believe that a manager would tell forwards not to take the man on. I think that's exactly what Van Gaal does. I, I think he's so obsessed with the maintenance of possession that he wants to minimise risk at all costs. Um, and so, I mean, I think Siak uh, Svart, the, the, the former you know, early 70s Ajax winger from that great Linus Michael's side, who you know, played alongside Cruyff, um, and he, he said of, of Ajax in, in the 90s, you know, when they were winning the Champions League, that he, he found them very difficult to watch because he saw the wingers there who were, were Overmars and Finidi George that if they had more than one man between them and the goal, they'd always check back and they'd always look to rebuild. That they'd never risk taking on the first man and then you know, the second man might get the ball or you might go past the second man. And, and I, I think you see that exactly with United now and I think you've seen it pretty much with all Van Gaal teams, that there is that um, determination to, to avoid risk. There's that determination not to lose the ball. And... I mean, I think the point Gary Neville was making was, was, was absolutely right, that if you're 1-0 up and you, you want to kill the game, that's exactly what you should do. But if it's 0-0 and you, you need to score, then how are you going to break the pattern of the game? How are you going to break the structure of the game 
if if nobody's ever taking risks. Uh, and that, I think, is what leads to this the sterility that um, Van Hal's been criticised for on aesthetic grounds by by Svart and by by uh, Paul Breitner when he was at Bayern. But I think also now, just on, on practical grounds, that United don't score enough goals. I mean, they've got, what, three and four games in the Premier League now. So when they come up against sides who are better than Club Bruges, they, they, they struggle to break them down, despite, I mean, I think they've had over 60% possession in every Premier League game apart from the Spurs game so far this season, and yet they don't score goals. Now, Van Gaal doesn't seem bothered by that. He seems contra- concerned more by, by the process. And, and I guess if you're, if you're putting a side together, there's, there's sort of two ways you can go about it. You can either say, look, if we get the structure right, then the goals will come. Or you can say, if we have a brilliant centre-forward, then we don't have to have 70% of the possession. We can have 50% possession, and if we have as many chances as them, if our centre-forward's better than theirs, we'll score more goals. It's a riskier way, but it's uh, uh, maybe a more exciting way. And, and obviously the, the ideal is you have the structure there and you have a brilliant centre-forward. But at the minute, perhaps it's, it's structure-heavy. And and the the front say the, the front four of United a little bit inhibited in possession. I think, I mean, it, yeah, it doesn't apply to the Swans again because Janosai didn't play. But um, uh, the Newcastle game, there was a couple of times you saw Janosai get the ball. He had maybe ten or fifteen yards of space in front of him. He'd start to run, and you'd think yeah, if he accelerates there, he's, he's past the man, and then you know the, the, the game opens up, and you sort of saw him sort of hesitate, check back, slow down, as if he's thinking right. I'm not allowed, I can't lose the ball here. Whatever I do, I can't lose the ball. I've got to make sure that if I, if I, if I misplace this pass, I've got to be back in position to, to block the attack. So I, I, I think there's a, there's a danger that the, the focus on structure becomes inhibitive to individuals. Well, if and that, it means the game becomes very set in certain patterns, and that's quite easy to defend against. If that is, if that is the case, John, if your feeling on it is, is right in terms of that, you know, where Neville was saying, I can't believe he, he would be telling guys not to do that. And you reckon, now that's exactly what he's telling them to do. He's telling them not to give the, not to lose the ball in these uh, risky areas in the opponent's uh, third of the field. Well, I mean, to be fair, it could be a halfway house. But Van Gaal is sort of, is obsessed by not cheaply losing possession. And players then become worried, is this thing I'm about to do going Too to be risky. seen as cheaply losing possession? So if it's not, he's instructing them not to take the man on. Well, he's going to have to... Which it's, not taking the man on becomes the default. It strikes me that if this problem is going to get ever get solved... He's going to have to start telling them to do that, because um, yeah, I mean, I mean, if this is if if essentially the players are doing what they think he wants them to do, um, you know, it's not as though Van Hal. I think, I mean, what is he, sixty-five years old now? You know, he he's pretty sure that his way is the right way at this stage. I don't really see him. Uh, I don't really see him making too many changes by now. So if 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 this is the case that the team are more or less doing what he wants them to do, and he's just waiting for the results to to follow as they inevitably will, this isn't a problem that's going to be solved. This is going to be the way Manchester United play all season. Yeah, I think it is. I mean, I, I guess what might happen, and we sort of saw it happen last, or we thought we saw it happen last season when they, they beat Spurs 3 0 and won the next three matches, uh, which included games uh, against, uh, was it Villa, Liverpool, and Arsenal, was it? Were they the third one? But I mean, you know, there's definitely three big teams in the four. Um, and you sort of thought, okay, the, 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 his method has, has been assimilated and the players are now more comfortable with it. And, and everybody talks about when he was at Bayern and they, they went to, to Rome in the, in the Champions League and I think around about the, the end of October, beginning of November that, in his first season and they won 4-1 and, and suddenly they were playing great football. So maybe there comes a point at which it all clicks, but you know, it did feel symbolic that 
in his 50th game, they play the same team as in his first game and they lose 2-1 to the same opposition. And you sort of think, well, what, what progress has there actually been? Now, I think they probably do look defensively more solid than, than they had. But I, uh, I then started looking at the goals they conceded yesterday. And the goal they score comes from Luke Shaw breaking forward from fullback. And actually their best move against Newcastle had come from Luke Shaw breaking forward on the right with the way the ball broke and he surged forward down the right, crossed it, really laid it back into Pie Blazer over the bar. The, the goal yesterday comes from, from Luke Shaw breaking forward. So he's breaking that structure. So he presumably has some kind of license to do that or he doesn't feel the inhibitions other players do. And yet both Swansea goals came from Luke Shaw not being in a left-back slot. So that shows, I think, that A, the structure is very important to Van Gaal's teams being defensively sound. And B, the, the the process of players covering for others within that structure still isn't quite right. John, just on the players who they can bring in at this point, in the, the latest is the Monaco uh, free-running forward he's described as, Anthony Marshall. Uh, you saw this guy play for Monaco against Arsenal at the Emirates. He set up a goal for Berbatov. Did he strike you as a 50 million euro player, the type of guy that could revive United's fortunes? <laughs> I have to say, I think that, that figure is, is, is extraordinary. He, you know, he's obviously a, a very promising player. He's, what, 19, I think? Um, but, I mean, he's, got, he's scored, I think, roughly one goal in five. I think he only played 50-odd games in, in the French League. Um, you know, he's he may well go on to become a... a, a a great player, but I think that's a huge amount of money for somebody who's so unproven. And I think it'd actually be pretty unfair if he were to be brought in as sort of the, you know, the saviour of United's forward line with a 50 million euro price tag when he, he still is so so raw. Um, I mean, that would really, I think, speak of a, a desperation on United's part. It would sort of suggest, I mean, you, know, you, you mentioned earlier how much United spent in the last 14 months compared to Swansea in their history. It would sort of suggest that United have they've gone completely insane. Yeah, yeah, it does. It it seems absolutely bonkers, really. You know, the guy he could turn out to be great, but it seems like a a kind of a younger, less experienced, and more expensive Memphis. You know, they've they've kind of already got a guy like that. Maybe they need someone a bit different. And this is why I wonder if something, if if they're planning some, if Ed Woodward is planning to unveil a, a spectacular. You know what I mean? In the next, Messi. In the next, Bale or something. Like this. I mean, they're they're always trying to sign Bale. We know Edward Wood has been trying to sign Bale every day since he got that job. You know, he's, he keeps plugging away at it. Maybe he'll he get that eventually. But I wonder if if something like that has to happen. I mean, when you look at the, for instance, the net spend figures um, for the for the summer, Manchester City have spent 165 million euros now in, in net terms, which is like the entire turnover of Inter. Man City have spent net on transfers in one summer. Manchester United have spent, obviously, uh, quite a lot of money, but when you consider they also sold Di Maria in net terms, it's not actually that much. Uh, and yet they've got, uh, apparently, more money than Manchester City, and we're always hearing about how, how wealthy they are, which makes me wonder if, in order to redress the balance, uh, in certainly in the minds of the supporters, because that's one of the things we know Ed Woodward is concerned about, you know, when, he, when, he, when he's getting absolutely hammered, you know, by all the millions of Manchester United supporters, the 650 million Manchester United fans in the world that he's always telling us about. He doesn't want those people all going on Twitter and talking about how, um, you know, how badly he's doing his job. So would you be surprised if there was something, something big coming down the pipeline, something even bigger than Anthony Martial? <laughs> um, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, I mean, I think there's a real problem generally that uh, there, there are no centre-forwards in the world and there are no centre-backs in the world. I mean, yeah, the fact that Otamendi can cost, well, 30 million euros, I, I find extraordinary. I mean, 
I, I think Otamendi's a kind of player that pretty much every English club had two or three of. Every English top flight club had two or three of 25 years ago. I think he's nothing special at all. He's big and he's strong and he's solid, but yeah, nothing more than that. Um, and yet, in today's market, that's what he costs because there aren't many players like that. The art of defending's been lost, and he's one of the few who still practice it. So, I, I mean, you look at Chelsea, you'd say they're short of a centre forward. You look at Arsenal, you'd say they're short of a centre forward. United are short of a centre forward. Everybody's short of centre forwards. But there just aren't many there. So, I, I think even if a spectacular is, is being planned, um, you know, there's not there's not many players of that caliber there. You know, you, you kind of you turn B plus players into spectaculars because there's hardly any B plus centre forwards around. Um, how, I mean, having said that, if Ed Woodward's really basing his transfer policy on what 650 million putative United fans say on Twitter then, and Facebook as well, and, fa- and Facebook, yeah. But I mean, you'd hope he's got a bit more fibre than that. All right, Jonathan Braden, thanks a million. Cheers, thanks. Oh, I'm just very excited now to see who Ed Woodward's going to bring in in the next um, next few hours. Uh, I mean, they, realistically, they've been linked with all the top guys, Neymar, uh, Muller, these sort of players. <laughs> yeah. That's not going to happen. But what if he goes a little bit? What if he, what if he brings a surprise out of the, It has to be a massive name. That's, there's no point saying, oh, here's the new wonder kid from Brazil. Nobody's going to yeah. care. You've, it, you've just signed an Arsenal player for 10 times the price Arsenal would have paid for him. What's the point of that? Yeah, no, it needs to be a massive name. Clearly, none of the biggest guys are going to go. So what about a Ronaldinho? <laughs> Big name. Ronaldinho still probably in some half decent nick. Uh, is he still playing? Is Ronaldinho he still is, playing? Yeah, he is, there yeah. you go, Ronaldinho. There's your man. Rivaldo. They, sh- they tried and, f- and then he, twelve years after we tried and failed. We finally, bring Ronaldinho <laughs> exactly, home. Exactly. Yeah. Works in boxing all the time. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's the fight everyone wanted to see fifteen years ago. <laughs> well, and here he is. Well, maybe you know. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I saw. I don't actually think he's going to sign Ronaldinho. No, and I just I, wanted to throw one in there. Di Maria, did you see Di Maria last night playing his first game for PSG? Came as a sub. They certainly, Beautiful assist. Yeah. Maybe they could sign him back <laughs> at, at a double the price. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I, I kind of feel... It's just when you go back to that, that, that squad composition thing. Five goalkeepers, three forwards. That's... Bizarre. It's insane. So, but it doesn't... It means there's a space being kept for somebody. Right? Mm-hmm. They can't possibly have just thought okay you know we we you know we've got plenty of goal covering the goalkeeping position that's not a worry three forwards well you know that's all right as well they can't possibly be thinking that they must be thinking reduce one probably De Gea is going to be leaving maybe some others as well but uh, they have to be thinking of bringing someone in now Martial would be a forward so that would bring it up to four but again he's like a young guy he's not a not really a center forward you know maybe in a couple of years they could have a serious player there but at the moment he's not going to it's too much to expect him to really make much of a difference. There, there has to be, they must be keeping a place for somebody, I think. We don't yet know what it's going to be. Charlie Austin was one, the, the, the chairman of the Queen's Park Rangers Supporters Trust tweeted yesterday, I think, it reliably informed Charlie Austin's on his way to Man United for 15 million. Mm-hmm. Good luck to you, Charlie. Thanks for all the memories. Mm-hmm. And this is the same guy David Sullivan said, he's got, he ain't got no ligament in his leg or in his <laughs> oh, knee. Yeah, or whatever. <laughs> You know, uh, which Charlie Austin obviously can't hear it. Can't hear it though if you don't have one. He, well, it's true. So he rebuked David Sullivan as well. He he didn't. He yeah, refutes. He refutes that. But uh, I think it looks as though they're they're keeping a space for someone who it might be. Uh, time will tell. You looking forward to transfer deadline day coverage. Uh, it's, it's died to death a little bit since they took the supporters out. Y- yeah, which they did in the last window. There were which just, was just just one deal though too many in their coverage. They had a thing going there. They had a serious thing going there. Transfer deadline day. It was a bit like, it was like, 
yeah, here we are. This is the country we live in. Deal with it. You know what I mean? <laughs> this is the country we live in. It was a bit like, remember the, the McGregor press conference in Dublin? Yeah. You know, it was, it was like, uh, yeah. That, it was, there this was like us. 92 of those. All these people watching, turning up your nose. Deal with it. This is us. You know what I mean? They, they should have been, they should have kept us going. Last, we get a chance to hold up a mirror to you people. Sky Sports News. But instead, <laughs> Sky Sports News is like, oh no, you know, this is too much. It's, and people are saying, shedding, swearing things, sticking dildos in the ears of reporters. We've got to, we've got to um, protect our right? reporters. You know what I mean? Uh, listen, it's the oldest trope in the, in the game, really, isn't it? The, when someone sticks a dildo in one of your reporters' ears, <laughs> It's probably gone on too it's long. It's not. It hasn't. One of the best. One of the best things I ever read, and you should check it out, uh, was a couple of years ago. The, the day that Arsenal signed Mesut Özil, um, there was an article on Vice by what's the guy's name, Clive. I know Martin. the one you're. I've read the article. Yeah, Clive brilliant. Martin? Yeah, yeah, Clive Martin. It's really good. And but it's like he basically just went down to the to the Emirates and observed on, on transfer deadline and was just there <laughs> for the for the evening. And it was the day they signed Özil. It's just this brilliant sort of piece all about the, you know, the kind of people who were there and what was going on. Uh, everyone should, should check that out. All right, we'll wrap things up. We have got another podcast coming out today that will feature Mayo's insane comeback against Dublin yesterday. I'm sure that will feature very heavily. Thanks very much, Ken. Thank you, too. Thanks, Kieran. Thanks, Kenny. Thanks, Lindsay. Thank you. Ken. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Twitter at Second Captains and check out secondcaptains.com. We'll talk to you soon. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those, those, those boys. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 